This is Come and See by Father Ron Baird for February 27th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. The message is by Mother Nancy Stanton. You know, when you look at the Gospel that we have today and the other lessons, you could um, spend, oh, probably... 20 hours up here preaching. I promise I won't. I see some pleased faces. There are just so many directions that you can take on this particular gospel. In fact, one book I was consulting, there were more than 15 pages devoted just to one part of it. But I'd like to focus today on material possessions. I think that um, material possessions have a lot of possible results in our life. And I'd like to consider that at the basics of Jesus' teaching about possessions, there are three major principles. First of all, all things belong to God, including us. In Jesus' teaching... It's the master who gives his servants the talents and the owner who gives the husbandman the vineyard. This principle has far-reaching consequences. We can buy and sell things. We can, to some extent, alter and rearrange things, but we cannot create things. Only God can create The ultimate ownership of all things belongs to God. There's nothing in this world that anyone can say, this is mine, not even your children. There's a story of a little girl who came from the city and they were on a field trip one day and the teacher took them out to the country and for the first time in her life, she saw a field of bluebonnets. And, oh, she just thought they were so beautiful. And she turned to her teacher and she said, do you think God would mind if I picked one of his flowers? That's the correct attitude for us to have in life. And all things in the world, of all things, we can only say this belongs to God. And God has given me the use of it. The second basic principle is that people are always more important than things. If possessions have to be acquired, if money has to be amassed, if wealth has to be accumulated at the expense of treating people as things, then all such riches are wrong. Whenever and wherever that principle is forgotten or neglected or defied, far-reaching disaster is certain to follow. I don't know if any of you remember the story of the fire of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, but coming up March 25th of this year will be the 100th anniversary of it. And it was the deadliest industrial fire in the history of New York City. It resulted in the fourth highest loss of lives 
from any industrial accident in the United States history. The fire caused the death of 146 garment workers. Most of them were Italian and Jewish immigrants that were young women between the ages of 16 and 23. These women either died because of the fire and being burned, or they jumped to their deaths. And most of the workers died because they couldn't escape from the building. The managers had gone in and they had locked the doors so that the women couldn't leave early or they couldn't take anything out with them. And the trucks, the fire trucks, the ladders only reached to the sixth floor. And the fire eventually led to legislation requiring improved factory safety standard and helped the growth of the International Ladies Garment Workers Union, which fought for better working condition for the sweatshop workers. In a famous line from the movie Wall Street, the actor Michael Douglas says, greed is good. Well, based on our gospel's text, and as certainly evidenced by this tragedy, amassing one's wealth on the backs of the poor and the indigent is not an example to be followed by anyone let alone by anyone who calls themselves Christian. And this leads to our third and our last principle, (coughs) that Jesus has taught us about material possessions, which is wealth is always a secondary good. Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It gets quoted that way all the time. But what the Bible says is the love of money is the root of all evils. In other words, the possession of wealth, money, and material, that's not in and of itself a sin. But it is a grave responsibility. And if someone owns many material things, it is not so much a matter for congratulations as it is a matter for prayer, that they may use them as God would have them do. I've talked before about Oprah Winfrey. I'm an Oprah Winfrey fan. We have been watching the program for many years because I have found that by watching the program, Carrie and I can come into some really good discussions, whether it's about people or money or um all the myriad of things that she has on her show. But one of the things that I am most pleased by watching her is that she's a billionaire, but she does not hoard the money to herself. She's very good at sharing the money and seeing that it goes and does things for people that have less. And Possibly some of this is because she was raised in such a poor environment, or possibly it's just because she loves people. But she does the right thing with her money. She doesn't hoard it and keep it all for herself. Doesn't mean that she's not comfortable and she doesn't have beautiful homes, but she's also started schools and and seen that people have money that 
aren't able to do things that they need to be able to do. All of this discussion leads us to consider the result of having material possessions, especially in the abundance of possessions. Ten of the eleven verses in this passage today have to do with worry and how we should deal with that worry. In these ten verses, Jesus sets out seven different arguments and defenses about worry. He begins by pointing out in Matthew 6.25 that God gave us life. And if he gave us life, surely we can trust him for lesser things. And then Jesus goes on to speak about the birds in Matthew 6.26. There's no worry in their lives. No attempt to pile up goods for unforeseen and unforeseeable future. And yet, their lives go on. In 627, Jesus goes on to prove that worry is useless because there's nothing we can do to alter the course of our lives or to extend our lives beyond the time that God graciously gives us. Then Jesus speaks about the flowers in 28 to 30. He speaks about them as one who loves them. The lilies of the field were the scarlet poppies and the anemones, and they bloomed one day on the hillside of Palestine. And yet in their brief life, they were clothed with beauty that surpassed the beauty of the robes of kings. When they died, they were used for nothing more than for burning. The point is, if God gives such beauty to a short-lived flower, how much more will he care for man? Jesus puts forward a very elementary argument against worry. Worry, he says, is characteristic of a heathen and not of a Christian. This is in 6.32. Worry is essentially distrust of God. Such distrust may be understandable in a pagan who believes in a jealous impulsive, and unpredictable God. But it's beyond comprehension for one who has learned to call God by the name of Father. A Christian cannot worry because he believes in the love of God. Doesn't mean that he can't be concerned, but not worry. Jesus goes on to say that there's two ways in which we can defeat worry. And the first way is to seek first, to focus upon the kingdom of God. It was Jesus' conviction that worry is banished when God becomes the dominating power of our lives. Last, Jesus says that worry can be defeated when we learn to live one day at a time. AA has taken that up as one of their banners, and it's worked very well for the people who are trying to break the addiction. The Jews had a saying, do not worry over tomorrow's evils, for you know not what today will bring forth. Perhaps tomorrow you will not be alive, and you will have worried for a world which will not be yours. If each day 
is lived as it comes. If each task is done as it appears, then the sum of all the days is bound to be good. It's Jesus' advice that we should handle the demands of each day as it comes without worrying about the unknown future and the things which may never happen. Perhaps a modern-day story and the things would summarize this better than I could ever do it. The author writes, I used to live in perpetual fear of losing things I had or never having the things I hoped to acquire. What if I lose my hair? What if I never get a big house? What if I become overweight, out of shape, or unattractive? What if I lose my job? What if I'm disabled and cannot play ball with my child? What if I get old and frail and have nothing to offer those around me? But life teaches those who listen, and now I know, if I lose my hair, I will be the best ball guy I can be. And I would be grateful that my head can still stimulate ideas, if not follicles. A house does not make a person happy. The unhappy heart will not find contentment in a bigger house. The heart that is merry, however, will make any home a happy one. If I spend more time developing my emotional, mental, and spiritual dimensions rather than focusing solely on my physical self, I will be more beautiful with each passing day. If I cannot work for wages, I will work for the Lord. And his benefits package is unmatched. If I am physically unable to teach my child to throw a curveball, I will have more time to teach him to handle the curves thrown by life. And this shall serve him better. And if aging robs my strength, mental alertness, and physical stamina, I will offer those around me the strength of my convictions, the depth of my love, and the spiritual stamina of a soul that has been carefully shaped by the hard edges of a long life. No matter what loses or broken dreams may lie in my destiny, I will meet each challenge with dignity and resolve. For God has given me many gifts, and for each one that I may lose, I will find ten more that I never would have cultivated were the courses of my life to always run smoothly. And so when I can no longer dance, I will sing joyfully. When I haven't the strength to sing, I will whistle with contentment. When my breath is shallow and weak, I will listen intently and shout love with my heart. And when the bright light approaches, I will pray silently until I cannot pray. Then it will be time for me to go to the Lord. And what then shall I fear? I've had an interesting thing happen this winter that I've never experienced before. Somehow, when we moved, my winter clothes were lost. Couldn't find them anywhere. We have hunted and hunted and hunted and hunted, and they just have disappeared. And I didn't have time, for some reason, to start worrying about it. I didn't know what I was going to wear as a coat. And I love sweaters, and I did find three sweaters But that's all I could find. And I thought, well, we're just going to have to do the best we can do until I have time to deal with it. And it's been a very interesting winter because clothes have trickled in. I have more coats right now than I have ever had in my life. 
Um, I have sweaters so that I am warm. I have everything I need to get through the winter, and we still have not found the winter close. And it has really proven to me that if we don't worry about such things, God will see that we are provided. I've had many other experiences around that, but that's been a very interesting one this year. Um, I don't think we can do any better for ourselves than to place our lives in the hands of Jesus, the Lord of all, and to trust in his benevolent care. He will provide our needs. Amen. You have been listening to Come and See by Father Ron Baird. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to Come and See.